I'd like to welcome everyone to the Florence Weinberg Show. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, the author of 15 books, the the subject of a documentary, and uh, she does so much. She's the subject of a prior radio series and now her own show, The Florence Weinberg Show. Frank McKay here. Very proud to be her co-host each and every week, and she will tell you the way it is, and she is absolutely terrific. And she doesn't pull punches. And she's not afraid of ruffling feathers. Uh, I, I think uh, very refreshing. And, uh, you know, this, uh, we need much more of this. Florence Weinberg Show is, uh, is upon us. You could hear us on 124 different outlets. But whatever you're listening to us on now is perfectly fine. Florence Weinberg, how are you? I'm doing fine, thanks, and so are you, obviously, from from the tone of your voice. Yeah, well, I'm upbeat, and we were talking a little off mic, and and, and you're gonna you're gonna get away from the uh, the mess that is in in Texas and everything that's going on in uh, in Texas, and and talk about a little side aspect that maybe some people are are, are missing or ignoring. What what's the uh, what's the proper uh, framework? Right. Well, uh, what I want to talk about is a book um, which started all the controversy, which is actually a Texas controversy, and yet it uh, it also pertains to what's going on in the nation as a whole. It was a book that came out. It was co-authored by Jason Stanford and Brian Burroughs, or Bur- Burrow without the S, and Chris Tomlinson, the title of which is Forget the Alamo. Hmm. Which, of course, the is a play on the words. Yeah, uh, and exactly, because remember, the Alamo was the war cry um, uh, of Sam Houston as he led the Texian army against uh, Santa Ana in uh, 1836, and when he won the day and took Santa Ana prisoner. Uh, he shouted, remember the Alamo. And anyway, the subtitle of Forget the Alamo is The Rise and Fall of an American Myth. Mm-hmm. And that has outraged people, especially in the present <laughs> government, because since, well, uh, probably about the 50s, when I forget exactly the date of the uh of the Alamo film starring John Wayne, but at least since then, the heroism of the uh, defenders of the Alamo, who of course were were killed to the last man, um, is gospel truth as far as our uh, Texas curriculum, school curriculum is concerned. Mm. So, William Travis was supposed to have drawn a line in the sand and said, anyone who does not want to stay here and fight to the death for the liberty of Texas, for freedom, uh, would step across that line. And nobody did. Mm. Everybody died. (laughs) And, And, of course, that never happened. (laughs) (laughs) 
but it uh, it was something that was had already begun as a myth about what went on in the Alamo that most people don't know anything about anyway, because uh, the women who were uh, trapped in there, uh, thinking it would be a safe place to be, uh, or else were wives of the uh, soldiers who were fighting. Um, they were cooped up in a room to be safe, and they were not observing what William Travis was doing. Uh, so they don't know whether uh, he drew the line in the sand or not. So, but that was made up yeah. about the heroic deeds and the heroic decisions of the of the men who then fought to to their deaths. Hey, can, can I ask and you something? Can, let me ask you something. Could that have been done nowadays? I mean, we have, you know, because people believe what they want to believe, right? And and the right, thing is, obviously, I, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> we we see it. We we see it on uh, uh, you know in regards to January sixth. But you know, yes. uh, uh, but think about it. Uh, we have video. Right now, we have audio. We have all kinds of, you know, every type of photography that you can imagine. I, I mean, do you think they could have gotten away with with the myth of the Alamo in modern day with the technology that we have now? No, I no don't way. think so. No way. Uh, first of all, well, uh, it. The realism of the situation, which was desperate enough, heaven knows, and the men who uh, who fought uh, were heroic enough, heaven knows, but their motives were not. Uh, the, the whole point of forget the Alamo is to say these men were not necessarily heroic; they were trapped in there, and uh, and they fought their best. And of course. Uh, Santa Ana had put up the uh, um, the degollado, the, the red flag signifying there would be no quarter uh, unless they surrendered, and he offered them, uh, of course, the opportunity to do so, and they refused it. Um, uh, anyway, uh, the, the myth that was embroidered around the, uh, those men uh, created saints and heroes out of them when they were just trapped and did their best, of course, to uh, to save themselves and failed to do it. Um, and my own book, which is uh, in, in the press right now, uh, or at least almost in the press right now, it's uh, with the designer, um, is... Uh, it includes a chapter about the Alamo, because the uh, protagonist in that book uh, is a, acts as a nurse during the Battle of the Alamo, and so she is a witness to what goes on. Um, so I'm, uh, I too am uh, debunking, to some extent, I'm de debunking the idea that these people were unmitigated heroes. And, uh, and fought purely for the love of freedom, freedom for Texas, independence for Texas, and so on. And indeed, they were fighting. Uh, they wanted independence for Texas. But why did they want independence for Texas? <clears throat> because the Mexican laws were too stringent for them, and uh, Mexican laws forbade slavery. And most of these... Uh, Texians, as they called themselves, to distinguish themselves from the Tejanos, who were the actual 
uh, population of Texas, um, these Texians had come in to East Texas, where the land is very similar to Louisiana and uh, Mississippi, Alabama, uh, Georgia, uh, along the southern uh, quadrant of the United States, uh, and it is suited to growing cotton. Cotton was a big cash crop in those days, but the labor in cotton fields was too dreadful for uh, white people and Indians. The Indians also died uh, who were forced to uh, to uh, cultivate and pick cotton. The only people who would stand up to that were black Africans who were already being enslaved and were being sold on the market in England and uh, Holland and other parts of Europe, but especially in the United States, uh, in the southern states, of course. This is all very well known. But those people coming in, those Texians, were Anglos who wanted to start plantations uh, in the east in East Texas, uh, which is swampy and uh, and the whole thing very similar to uh, to Louisiana, <clears throat> also hot, humid, uh, and the uh, the picture of Texas to be a desert uh, is only partially true. That's west. West Texas, and uh, so their motives were very much mixed. They wanted to, uh, to independence so they could uh, bring in more slaves and bring them in freely, and they also did not want to have to teach to have to learn Spanish and to become Catholics, which were two other reasons uh, or uh, requirements yeah. uh, of people coming in to settle here, because it was still Mexico. Okay, so uh, after this preamble, uh, this is what happened last week. The Bullock Texas State History Museum in Austin had scheduled a review program. It was going to be a virtual book tour for the, the book Forget the Alamo, The Rise and Fall of an American Myth. And so people had signed into that. It had caused considerable excitement. But about four hours, four hours yet, uh, before showtime, this was last Thursday, um, the museum bowed out, said, we're canceling this program because of increased pressure on social media. And so people who had uh, had lined up really to uh, to participate in this program were suddenly dumped. And the truth turned turned out not to be not to be uh, social pressure. It was not social media who put the pressure on, but it was political pressure from the state's Republican lieutenant governor, Dan Patrick who the following day on Friday claimed credit for the kill. Wow. <laughs> so, proudly, proudly, right? Yeah. So um, he, he tweeted the following, and I'm quoting him. As a member of the preservation board, I told staff to cancel this event 
as soon as I found out about it. <laughs> this fact-free rewriting of Texas history has no place at the Bullock Museum, unquote. Wow. <laughs> wow. Fact-free rewriting of Texas history, it is not. It's actually a very truthful uh, and heavily researched book about what really motivated the, the men, the Texians, who had come into San Antonio and had occupied the Alamo and then found themselves trapped by Santa Ana, who came to drive them out because they were uh, obviously trying to wrest Texas away from Mexico. So Santa Ana had a perfectly good motive. The only problem was that Santa Ana had declared himself the dictator of Mexico, and he had abrogated the Constitution of Mexico, uh, the Constitution of, 19, of 1824, that had made uh, Texaco in, um, Texaco, Mexico uh, into a republic. Very similar. The Constitution was very similar to the United States Constitution. But both constitutions were based on the French Enlightenment, ideas of the French Enlightenment. Yeah. So they both had the same source. Anyway, um, so Santa Ana had perfectly good reason. He was protecting his nation when he came up to get rid of these, these parasites who were coming in here uh, and wanting to bring in slaves, of course. Hmm. So, um, so uh, this book, of course, directly uh, challenges the idea that was popularized by Disney and John Wayne, <laughs> and cemented by the politicians in uh, in the Texas school curriculum, as I already said. And uh, so, the myth that these Texians. Uh, these white settlers uh, fought this doomed battle uh, to defeat tyranny <laughs> and to free Texas wow. um, leaves a whole lot out, notably that the Texas Texians opposed Mexican laws that would free the enslaved workers <laughs> that they needed to farm cotton. And that's, that's it crazy. in a nutshell. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so... Um, there has been previous controversy about this. Uh, in 2018, a panel, of course, the Republicans have been in power here for, for decades now. Uh, and uh, so in 2018, that's uh, not too long ago, uh, a panel of, the, of these people reviewing the state history curriculum suggested um, not requiring seventh graders to learn that those who died at the Alamo were maybe not heroic, um, but the Republican uh, people on that panel, including Senator Ted Cruz and George P. Bush, who was the land commissioner, yeah. and he, he's the nephew and grandson of the president. Uh, former presidents, a nephew of of uh, of W and yeah. grandson, yeah, 
uh, okay. Um, and they decided that the that they would stop political correctness in our schools. Um, and Greg Abbott, of course, got in into the mix uh, also, and said, "Of course, Texas school children should be taught that Alamo defenders were heroic." Wow! So, <laughs> this is so unbelievable. Yeah, so the boogeyman here is those who are defending against critical race theory, as they have labeled it, uh, and they're they're calling it political correctness in teaching anything at all about slavery and its role in the racism of, uh, of uh, the American of our American history. And there's no denying that American. Uh, I mentioned this before on the last program, I think, that even uh, zoning laws under Roosevelt required that racial entities that were not compatible should be kept separate in in creating uh, uh, settlements in the United States so that uh, areas of the city uh, should make sure that the races are compatible in each each area, which was actually dictating that we would have ghettos, uh, yeah. barrios, as we say here in uh, in Texas, uh, restricted to blacks and brown people, and the white people could have their own bailiwick, and of course elect all the public officials and make sure that the white folks dominate here in Texas. So uh, this is, uh, as far as education went, um, uh, Abbott, this is last month, Abbott already signed into law an act establishing a committee called the 1836 Project. (laughs) And of course, 1836 is the date of the Alamo. And it was the instructions to the committee is to promote patriotic education. <laughs> so patriotic education means we hide the truth. We, we can't face it, uh, which means that we are not as heroic as the defenders of the Alamo turned out to be, <laughs> because we can't take it. We have to hide the truth. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's it, it's the night you're living in the 1950s there, right? 50s or 40s or something. You know they're gonna they're gonna turn back the clay. They're gonna decide what history is, uh, yes. to to fit a a certain way of life. That's terrible, Doc. That that is a terrible, uh, uh, you know, situation. And by the way, not that it's anything new. People have done this for years, but you figure yeah, now oh yeah. we're supposed to be more enlightened. Texas is, is wants to you to go back to the 50s. Yeah, well, actually, history is always written by the victor in any conflict. Right, that's true. And so, uh, so uh, the victor is going suddenly to be sanctified and, he, and uh, heroic and so on, and absolutely correct. I mean, they made no mistakes. Their judgments were all true. <laughs> and uh, so that's how the story of the Alamo, of course, 
um, it became popularized. And uh, everybody, um, I had people coming over from Spain, uh, and they wanted to see the Alamo, and they wanted uh, they uh, they wanted to follow John Wayne. John Wayne was a concept even now to these people, uh, and John Wayne had portrayed. Uh, Davy Crockett as this great hero who, after his uh, he had run out of ammunition, was standing before the gate of the Alamo, or rather the, the door of the, of the church, uh, with his uh, rifle butt knocking, <laughs> knocking down Mexicans and killing them with the butt of his rifle. And here were the, um, the Mexicans all armed and shooting at him, and of course he dies heroically from one of those bullets. But that's the image that people have uh, of Davy Crockett's death. And on the contrary, there is plenty of evidence that Davy Crockett survived the battle. Um, he had fought and had fought heroically, but he didn't happen to be in the in the main melee uh, in the main uh, enclosure. He was over to one side. Defending uh, the uh, the wooden wall, there was one wooden uh, palisade, and he was defending that. And so he and a few others uh, were still alive when Santa Ana came in to inspect the post-victory uh, situation. And uh, one of the generals discovered Crockett and these other men, and brought them to Santa Ana, who ordered them executed on the spot. <laughs> the general was horrified because he thought that uh, they would be taken as prisoners to Mexico City uh, and treated uh, as prisoner, prisoners of war were normally treated in the good old days, uh, before the Geneva Convention, obviously. <laughs> right. Um, they weren't treated nicely, but they were at least kept alive. And Santa Ana ordered these these men shot on the spot, and nobody nobody obeyed the order. <laughs> so the soldiers standing around refused to shoot them. So his own bodyguard rushed forward with their sabers and hack, hacked them to death. And wow. this was witnessed. Yeah, this was witnessed by one of Santa Ana's generals, or I think he was a colonel at the time, who. Um, who almost threw up. I mean, he was horrified, and he wrote about it in a memoir. Um, and um, and some of the other generals also uh, wrote about it. So, uh, so it's attested to by eyewitnesses who have no reason to lie. But it means that Davy Crockett did not die uh, in the midst of battle but being hacked to death by sycophantic, uh, a sycophantic bodyguard of uh, Santa Ana. And Santa Ana was certainly a monster. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Wow. Just wow. And, and uh, again, we're watching, it, we're, we're getting a lesson in history right now by watching this, because uh, can you imagine how uh, historians over the years uh, or, or victors. You said victor, victors get to write the history, and you're absolutely right. Uh, imagine how much false history we have here. And 
You know, one of my favorite historians is a guy named Eugene Weber, and he did the uh, this 56-part series, I think it was, uh, The Western Tradition, and I loved it. I've seen it, I don't know how many times, it was videotapes, <laughs> it was that long ago, but he was a professor at UCLA, and he uh, he said basically, if if horses and goats could write, they would write about horses and goats. So the the, the, pe- the people who wrote are, are, you know, were rich, white, you know, noblemen. You know, they wrote mm-hmm. they yeah. wrote their own history. You know, they, who wrote the history. So they weren't writing about the poor. They didn't know the poor. They just knew the poor was somebody that would, you know, they would they would hire to to do their dirty work is what it was. So we didn't know what was going on in the in the poor because the poor couldn't write. They didn't know how to write. And and herstory, yeah, right. when when you right. get into the concept of herstory, you know, women didn't write back then. So we know very little about about what women were doing other than the fact that, you know, it was the dark ages and they would they were treated like, you know, obvious second class citizens is putting it mildly. I mean they they were treated yeah. completely poor and, and whatever. But we're watching what you're talking about here would forget the Alamo it is a is a pure illustration of of how history is uh, is recorded even and now this is modern time. It's just amazing. Yes. And of course, the Republicans, our Republican government is doing its best uh, to deep six that book because it goes against this uh, beautiful white supremacist myth uh, that we have lived with all these years. And the the daughters of the Republic of Texas, of course, wanted to, um, and they're sort of like the daughters of the American Revolution, only here uh, they have to be direct descendants of some of the people who died uh, in the Alamo battle. Um, uh, anyway, they wanted the myth perpetuated also, and so they did their very best. They would have reenactments of the heroism of uh, of Travis and so forth, um, and the line in the sand and all that. Um, and, uh, of course, it was used, the Alamo then, was used by Sam Houston, uh, who was the general of the Texian army, and there were some Tejanos in that army, too, because uh, the, those Tejanos who believed in Mexico as a republic went along with the, te, uh, with the Texians because they, too, uh, wanted to get rid of Santa Ana. And so they, they also fought in the, in the uh, battle that defeated this, uh, the Mexican army and took uh, Santa Ana captive later on when uh, Houston was shouting, remember the Alamo. And so that cry was taken up by the the men in battle also. So there is some truth to uh, holding the Alamo as a uh, symbol uh, for fighting against tyranny because, in truth, that was who Santa Ana was. He was a tyrant. Mm. So it, history is not a simple matter. And, <laughs> and it is, has been recorded by white males, mainly, just as the Constitution was written for, by and for white males. Uh, and uh, the only voters uh, in the beginning of our republic were landed Gent, uh, gentlemen who owned property and 
uh, uh, could therefore call the shots in, in government in every other way. And, of course, women were considered uh, mindless and inferior, and therefore they couldn't vote, obviously, poor souls, uh, if they even had souls. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and the poor, as you just said, the poor people who were mainly illiterate back then uh, couldn't, couldn't qualify to vote either. And so the place was run... Um, uh, and successfully run in the beginning by, but not without controversy, uh, by the white, propertied, wealthy uh, men of this uh, of the colonies. Wow! So. Just uh, wow! You know, it's just you know if if uh, this was modern day, you don't know who's worse, the uh, the the Texians who. Uh, who wanted to enslave the Africans, or or Santa Anna, who was a just a brutal, bloody dictator? But there may have been a lot of supporters, and I think I said this the last time we spoke. It it very well could have um, uh, it, it, a lot of people would have been on his side, knowing that he was at least trying to stop slavery. Yes. Well, and uh, Travis, for for instance, Travis. Um, believed that the citizens who actually populated San Antonio at the time and who were Tejanos, so they were Spanish-speaking citizens of New Spain, Mexico. Mm -hmm. And Mexico was their country. And they had been born in Mexico and raised in Mexico. They were partisans of the, the liberal constitution of 1824, which was uh, which created Texas once once Texas was free of Spain, uh, Spain gave up on uh, on ruling uh, Texas across the sea, uh, gave it its liberty, and and then this this liberal uh, republic uh, republican in the small small R Constitution was written in 1824, and. All of the provinces in in New Spain became states in Mexico and still are states in Mexico. Uh, but uh, and the the laws governing these states were very similar to the laws that uh, that we have here with our own constitution. So the the people of San Antonio, as on the whole, were loyal to that constitution. But at the same time, they were patriots. <laughs> they didn't want Texas to suddenly go fly off on its own because they feared that the United States would grab it. And it became a republic for, I think, something like seven years. And, of course, uh, it boasts of being the Lone Star State because it was a an independent republic um, and therefore we have this one star on the uh, on the Texas flag um, but sure enough it got grabbed up by the United States just as the Mexican population had had feared and those who were afraid of the Texians and their motives justifiably afraid did not want to go into the Alamo and help defend it. So 
Travis then concluded that all Mexicans in San Antonio were traitors. And in fact, after the Battle of the Alamo was over and after uh, the Battle of San Jacinto in East Texas where uh, Santa Ana was defeated, after that was over, the the Texians took over the government and they drove Mexican citizens out of towns like Victoria was cleansed of the enemy. And that meant that all the people who were Spanish-speaking in that town were driven out and their property seized and taken over by Texians who then got the beautiful homes all set up um, so they didn't have to do anything, put put out any money or expense. And that's how Texas suddenly turned into an Anglo state. Mm. Wow. Uh, this is the real yeah. history of Texas, is what this is, what you're talking about. It here. is. And, you know, it is indeed. You summed it and up so nicely. My, in my book, which is coming out now, which is simply titled Before the Alamo, gives all the reasons why Texas turned out the way it has um, it, under the guise of a young woman growing up. In, uh, it was born in 1814 and was in her 20s when the Battle of the Alamo took place, but who saw the development of what was happening. All the immigration from, uh, from the United States into Texas, people grabbing land and squatting. Um, and there was pressure similar to the pressure on Oklahoma when the Sooners all lined up on the border and then that, a uh, gun was shot, shot off, and they rushed across and grabbed whatever land they could. Uh, it was a similar movement, only uh, it, it wasn't organized like that. But uh, it was a huge influx of um, of poor people who needed land or criminals uh, who were fleeing. Uh, justice in the, one of the eastern states and could grab land and, and become landed gentry here um, and so on. I mean, that's what happened. I mean, and there's plenty of evidence to that effect. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, these are facts. <laughs> these, are, these are facts, and they're trying to change facts. And your, your governor is funny as anything. I mean, it's... Uh, um, and your lieutenant governor is funny. They're they're in, they're trapped. I mean, they can't. I I think if they went the other way, well, actually, I think there's a middle ground somewhere, right? But if they went the other way, you know, they're probably they'll lose their base, and their base is very yeah. you know, Trump-like. I mean, they're they they've got a huge Trump base in there, and um, and right-wing uh, religious. Uh, a batch of folks and whatever, but you, you know, you're uh, there's got to be a middle ground where they can they can keep their base and and not have to you know humiliate themselves historically because that's what it's yes, going to look back yeah. on. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, this uh, this same situation pertains to the the Trump base that is uh, believing the myth. The big lie 
that uh, that the election was stolen, that there was massive, massive fraud wow. that nobody can detect. Oh, by the way, Ken Paxton, I'm sure your uh, our audience knows that Ken Paxton offered a million dollars to anybody who could prove uh, fraud. Uh, in uh, in the election, he's safe. His million is safe. I I may as well offer a million because nobody's going to be able to prove it. <laughs> Nobody can prove it because, well, actually, there was, uh, I think, uh, one of the uh, election officials in Georgia came up with two. Two instances of fraud, and uh, it was one man uh, whose father had recently died, and he voted twice, once for himself and once for his uh, his father. He put on a pair of glasses or something yeah. to look different and voted in his father's name. That was one of them, and that was caught uh, at, at that moment, uh, so that vote didn't count. And then another one who uh, voted for his father, but his father had died a decade or two before. Uh, it was also caught. So he claimed the million dollars. <laughs> and, of course, Paxton did not pay up. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you, you know, he should say and, mass fraud. He, he's got to say mass fraud. You know, yeah, right. Because he's going to find but out. The, the irony of this whole thing was that both of them voted for Trump. <laughs> that that is the end all. That is uh that is absolutely wonderful. Wow. They weren't expecting that. <laughs> right. So there was fraud, but it was not all, not Biden's fraud. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Wow. But uh, well, back to the point. Uh, you know, before the Alamo is your book. Uh, Forget the Alamo is uh, is is their book, and you know, really an eye opener, right? Or should be an eye opener. And and remember, the Alamo is again the uh, uh, the, the battle cry that that yep. kept uh, that kept uh, Texas proud and loud and proud over all those years. Remember the Alamo. Correct. Yeah. So uh, that's why everybody remembers the Alamo in, the, uh, in a myth- mythic form. Uh, but I think more and more people are uh, getting clued in to the actual situation and what really happened. So uh, the, the myth is not going to last very much longer. The state took over the Alamo uh, while I was doing research for, for my book, before the Alamo, and I was doing it in the archive at the Alamo. And those archivists knew their business. They knew exactly what I was going to need, and they brought it to me, and uh, I was able uh, – my my research was eased and and hastened, uh, shortened by these, these wonderful people. Mm-hmm. And on the very last day of my uh, research – I arrived there, and all the staff of the Alamo Library and Archive were standing outside looking at each other and, of course, angry and confused because the state had swooped in overnight and had changed the locks on the the library building. Wow. their keys did not fit anymore. Uh, nobody had told them 
that they were out of a job and couldn't even get in uh, to pick up their own personal effects in the desks. I mean, it was unbelievable. Oh, wow. And, and high-handed, stupid, <laughs> and so on. And that's how this, the state was handling this whole thing. And um, so there's a big question now about just what is going to be in the museum and all the other things that are being added to the Alamo experience for tourists. Uh, yeah, and we know what you know what the state wants to do, but uh, but will they actually be able to do it when history uh, dictates otherwise? So we'll have to wait and see. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And it, look, at the end of the day, I think if you polled the the people out there and said to them, would you rather lie about history if it if it kept the pride of of America or Texas alive? I bet you it would come straight down party lines. You know, I'm not saying all. Oh, it would. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not saying all Republicans would, but it would be pretty close to to that. You know, the mm-hmm. the Trumpers right. for sure would say. You know, they they would reword it. They would reword the question, and they'd say, "Don't, don't by any means uh, take away our history. Don't re rechange history for political correctness," is what they mm-hmm. what they would probably word it as. But the the truth of the matter is, is they're being told. They, they, they are being told we're, we're going to lie about history, but it's going to make us look better and it's going to make us feel better about ourselves. And well, I mean, uh, January 6th is now being distorted and lied about. It was just another tourist day with people going in to see the Capitol building. Yeah. They were just normal tourists. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that we have it all documented... <laughs> And we can uh, we can see it over and over again how uh, the Capitol Police, for instance, were bludgeoned and killed and stomped and stabbed uh, with the ends of flagpoles and uh, crushed in a door and all on and on. And those those, of course, were the normal uh, tourists <laughs> on a an ordinary day a visit to the Capitol. Uh-huh. Uh, so that is the most blatant rewriting of history right there. Yeah, it's it's just, it's unbelievable what we're watching. It's it's really a, a lesson. It's a lesson in, in how we've gotten our history. And, yep. you know, mm-hmm. it's it's not, um, you know, I was going to say it's unfortunate, but it's it's been since the recording of, of history, uh, it's been distorted and it's been... Uh, you know, explained in ways that's beneficial to the writer. And, you know, it's so much. And by God forbid you say anything about the Bible and, and, you know, uh, question, you know, the legitimacy of, of certain aspects of the Bible, um, you you would, you get your head handed to you just questioning. Yes. Yes. Many people have. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Right, people were burned at the stake for uh, questioning uh, certain incidents in the Bible. So, anyway, yeah. just uh, amazing. Forget the Alamo, and before the Alamo, these are two books that are gonna. Well, uh, before the Alamo isn't out yet. 
correct? That's right. That's yeah. right. It, it's coming always. soon. Right. Uh, I will announce it when it's actually available. Uh, and uh, uh, I think uh, I think people will both be entertained by the story because it's the story of a young woman and how she uh, grows up with great difficulty. Uh, but it's also um, uh, it's also a, a history of Texas that has slipped in there uh, from, uh, and we learn about it through her observations of what's going on around her, uh, and and what she participates in, uh, being a nurse at the Alamo. Uh, that's not the main point of the story, but uh, it's part of the panorama that the story portrays. So anyway, I think people will be amused by the story and will learn on the side, without any effort, will learn all about the history uh, of what really went on and why. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, so well, that's that's my contribution to this whole thing. And then, of course, forget the Alamo is straight is a straight essay on what uh, these researchers have actually put together. Uh, and I recommend that that book very strongly, and you can get that any moment at uh, on Amazon, of course, or Barnes and Noble, wherever wherever you buy your books. Yeah, look, you could ban it all you want in the Texas libraries. It's very easy to get books nowadays, which is a big big advantage to where we were in this fifties or the forties or Nazi Germany. Oh yeah, Nazi Germany right. banned books, and whenever I think of banning books, I, I'm always look. And, you know, even if they're what you would consider obscene or whatever, why ban books? Let, let's trust people. Let's trust them to intellectualize on their on their own and to to take it in. I mean, it's I, I, I don't look, I, you know, I mean, there's I, I'm not a buyer of pornography, but I guess if it's oh. if it's of age and it's uh, and, and it's not, you know, uh, forced pornography or it's not child or dog or something that uh you know that someone couldn't um uh, object to it and it's uh, consensual then you know i mean it's like you know who are we to say uh what it is uh, what's obscene and what's not obscene and uh it's not my cup of tea it's not your cup of tea but uh it, you know you, you gotta you gotta be careful when we start banning things and you know <laughs> jerry falwell had a very frightening uh thought he once said you know, somebody said, "Have you ever, have you ever read this book or whatever?" He says, "Hey, I haven't read it, but I don't have to stick my head in a sewer to know that it stinks." And uh, you know, that's very, <laughs> that's a very frightening thought, because it makes yeah. sense on so many levels to people, and uh, and and you know, just disturbing because he could use one little catchphrase and justify the <laughs> banning of 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 a book, you know, and whatever. Right. And, and we are not that mm-hmm. far. Once we start banning things like this, we're really not that far from what people, the most egregious bannings uh, that have occurred in in history. So, uh, again, uh, I applaud Forget the Alamo. I think it's uh, right. It's a it's a sounds like a good effort. Right. It sounds like a, um, you know, uh, important to read all sides and and uh, and certainly before the Alamo is going to be a must once it's out. So. Uh, I, I'm sure you would agree with those two things. 
absolutely. <laughs> of course. Anytime you're pushing my book, <laughs> I will agree with you. <laughs> yeah, it's but a, it's not out yet. So. No, but it will be. <laughs> it will be, and I will let people know then <laughs> that it's available. On Maywood. <laughs> on Maywood Publishing, right? Maywood House. Maywood House, yes. That's the, now the imprint, yes. All right, Doc. Well, listen— Congrats on on your work and your efforts there, and uh, just uh, just wonderful work on this. And always uh, listen. You, you're you're always going to give a smart view, and people, <laughs> if they don't agree with you, they uh, they they have to. And by the way, I have I have a feeling at this point, most people that are listening to you are pretty enlightened. And I don't think the uh, right wingers. I think they've tuned out. I, I, I think they've tuned out a while ago. You know, when you started yes, talking I about think Trump, they, did too. Yeah. they have other things to do with their time than to listen to you speak logic. And uh, <laughs> so, congratulations! Uh, and uh, oh, and, thank you, and, thank you, Frank, and thank you. Wonderful job, and to everyone out there, you've been listening to Doctor uh, Florence by him. Weinberg and uh, the Florence Weinberg show. We urge everyone to binge listen to everything that we've been doing here and, and buy the books and watch the documentary and and uh, we will uh, we will continue to tell you where as of uh, as of July 7th uh, they're they're all well what's available is available. I think nine of the books. Is that correct doc? Nine of the 15 uh, books? Yes. Yes. Nine uh, books are still available. Uh, for the next, I don't know how many weeks, but uh, they will soon be replaced by reprints under my own uh, uh, imprint, which is Maywood Press, um, after that. So I hope there will be no interruption in availability of all those nine books. Wonderful. Dr. Florence Weinberg, thank you very much. I thank you too, Frank. And to everyone listening, we know you have a lot of choices, and we appreciate your, uh, your attendance here and your, your attention here. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you next time on The Florence Weinberg Show.